welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hi there, listeners. Today I'm speaking with Thomas Barothi. He's the Chief Operating Officer in Legal at UBS, the Swiss-based global investment bank and financial services company. Now, it's a really interesting discussion because Thomas brings to the table a very unique perspective in the running of a legal department like a business. It's not a traditional lawyer's perspective. In fact, Thomas is not a lawyer, but he's got extensive experience and background in finance, risk and management. So you'll hear about his journey when he took on the role of C at UBS only a few years ago, some of his early wins, and really interestingly, what he sees as the big rocks in the future operation of a legal department, certainly of a large organisation. So it's a fantastic discussion, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Hi, Thomas. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. Hi, Tim. Hi. Welcome, yes. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. Now, now, Tom, so I'm particularly excited. I'm always excited with my guests, but I'm particularly excited with you because you bring a bit of a different angle. So most of my guests so far have been general counsel. You, of course, don't have a legal background. You've got a finance background. And I might just very high level do a bit of an outline of your career, at least with UBS. And then I'm going to ask you to jump into some detail there. But you've been with UBS for, I think, almost 20 years, starting off, I think, of chief of staff, to the CFO in the Wealth Division. You've taken on a CFO of the APAC region. And now you're Group Legal COO for the whole of UBS globally. So I'd love to learn a little bit about your journey going from your finance background into legal, what you've learned, and then we'll we'll jump in a bit of the detail and get some perhaps some war stories from you about your dealings with the in-house team, the lawyers, the objectives, the kind of wins and the and the struggles you might have had. But let's start high level. Tell me a little bit about the journey first. Yeah, okay. That's, I think it's quite an interesting journey and it's not only purely on the financial side. What, what you mentioned now are more the, the CEO, my, my previous CFO finance roles, but I had also quite substantial risk management roles. So I was, for just to give you an example, I implemented the Sarbanes Oxley Act for UBS, which kind of resulted then in the operation risk framework for, for yep. the, the first iteration of the operation risk framework for the bank. And then for many years before I actually became the CEO for Group Legal, I was responsible for what's called the Swiss Resolution Plan. That's a Swiss part of the too big to fail law, or you could say the cluster of too yes. big to fail laws all over the world. So I was a member of a team who implemented the too big to fail solution for UBS, not only in Switzerland, but also outside of Switzerland, in the US, in the UK, and, and in, in the end, basically globally. And I did also implement the service company for UBS, which where we moved about 15,000 people globally. So it's basically a CFO background with with a number of you know more important stints in the risk management part, operation yep. risk, credit risk, credit risk control, and very big scale projects. So probably the ring fence in Switzerland that we implemented under the too big to fail law was the biggest Swiss universal bank that was ever created. 
Right, and this is all the post-GFC, essentially. Yes, right. Regime. So U.S. Yep. is a GCF, so a systemically important bank. And the, the service company, as I said, moved about 15,000 people worldwide. So that is, that's, of course, a big-scale project. So it's more a blend of financial background, risk management background, and then compared with big project management, with large project management yep. experiences. And so... How then did the role, this particular role that you're currently in now as group legal COO, how did that come out and what kind of convinced you, put your hand up or nod your head and said, yeah, I'm up for that? Yeah, I think that's probably a funny story because as a first of all, that role did already exist because my boss, the group general counsel of UBS is very open and very interested in technology questions in making the legal department better, not not only from an organizational management perspective, but also from a cultural perspective. So he is really interested in that. And he created a legal operations or CEO role already before I actually made right. the move internally. So that position was already available. I, I really don't know when it was created, but probably around early, you know, 2013, 2012, probably around around that, or probably probably even a little bit earlier, I don't know. So, yeah. But certainly it was one of the earlier quote-unquote legal operations roles that existed. Yeah. I just recently heard a podcast from Mary from Clock, and then she exp- explained how legal operations was created in Google. Yeah. And that was, it's just not so many years ago, to be honest. Yeah. Right? These yeah. roles are fairly new. So that's that's probably the first thing to mention. The other other thing to mention is that I, particularly during my too big to fail projects, I was basically on the other side of the legal department because I was I received substantial legal services. Yeah. You know, you can't create the biggest Swiss Universal Bank, which was a carve out of UBS AG, without substantial legal support. So. Yep. This was, for example, the biggest asset transfer ever done in Switzerland, 300 billion of assets being transferred. The contract of that was about 700 pages long. So, yep. so you were a significant consumer of legal services at that point. I always like to work with lawyers. We always, on yep. this project, of course, there is a substantial part of the project are all the legal questions, the contract for the asset transfer, and any Every client contract had to be touched, just as an yep. example. Same yep. then with the service company. So again, creating a huge service company creates a number of interesting legal questions that starts with the employee contracts, so, you know, for the employees who have to be transferred and every jurisdiction yep. is different. Then just creating the asset carve, carve out from one legal entity into, into the other and so on. So I, I, I always enjoyed that and I always had this gut feeling, but I had this gut feeling also as a CFO already yep. that the legal departments are, you know, a bunch of very nice people just with with the drawback that the management skills are not really yep. how, how to phrase it, you know. Not, not as strong as some other departments perhaps. Not, not very strong management skills, you know, somehow they, they get their act together but 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 if you're on the receiving side, you always get this get this view. Okay, yeah, not so sure whether this department is really well managed. Yeah, right. So that, this was just more my gut feeling. And I had in, at UBS, you do long term career plans. It's kind of a, an annual process where the long term career plans are actually being refreshed. And and my career plan, basically more or less from the beginning on, was focused on finance risk 
or any other control function of UBS. Because I took very early in my career, I took a decision that I'm not going to work on the client side of UBS. There would have been a number of very small pockets and exceptions where, where I work, where I really work, work, like to work with, with clients of UBS if they are sophisticated clients, you know, like, like family offices and so on. Yeah. But not, but not on the, not on the kind of the more retail or, or standard wealth management business. So my interest was always in control functions. And for me, control functions is finance, risk and legal. Obviously, there's a debate whether legal is a control function or not. But for me, for me, it's a control function as well. Yeah. So I had, I was, you know, I, I mean, I'm now, as you said, I'm since 20 years with UBS. And at, the, at that time, I was 15, 16 years with UBS. I've seen finance. I've seen risk. And my long-term career plan stated when the CEO role at legal, when that internally becomes available, then I'm going to volunteer because it's just for two reasons, because my, my feeling was really that the management is not, can be improved. And secondly, it just would have added a third, my, basically the last control function, the third control yep. function. Yep. So, and then all of a sudden that role became open at the end of 2016. And I was... I was at the end of implementing the service company and I always previously over, over a couple of years, I, I was already in contact with our group general counsel, which is, yep. I, I think, I think it's just more on the, on the cultural side, you know, emotional side, which is, we are, I always liked him. It was always, always great to have an exchange with him. And yeah, then this role became open and uh, I just basically raised my finger, went through an internal decision process or kind of, you know, the normal internal hiring process. And then he took a decision and gave me the job, which, which really started on the 1st of January. And I told Marcus, so Marcus Titan, that's my boss. I told Marcus, I just can't start earlier because on the 31st of December, 2016, we're going to legally create the service company. So I just can't spend yep. a minute before. I need to finish my, my, you know, the current job, and then and then I I going to move over, and let's see what we're going to do, you know. All right, so let me take you thirty days into the role. So it's the end of January. Marcus says to you, "Okay, Thomas, you've had thirty days. What are you going to do first? So that I think that was basically already clear on the first day, more or less. I think when it comes to projects and and kind of doing SWOT analysis, I'm usually relatively fast. And and yep. I told Marcus just two things, you know which I agreed with him before I took the job. First, I told him, look, first, I got to be completely open to you. I, I will come as an outsider. I will tell you what I think, what doesn't work yep. or could be improved. And secondly, we need to clarify how we're going to split the role. My role as a CEO is basically to improve the management of the function internally. Yep. And he focuses more on the outside, which means in a big financial company, Big financial service company means the litigation portfolio. Yep. Right. So his role is obviously being the group general counsel, which which means providing strategic advice, strategic legal advice to the firm, sitting on the group executive board. And then secondly, you know, managing the litigation portfolio, in particular the way big litigations, because they have yep. Now, that's not UBS specific. The litigation portfolio in the financial service industry, of course, can create all types of nasty side effects yeah. and can be very price sensitive, right? That, that these are really things which are moving, which can move the share price. Yeah. Yeah. And my role is an internal one. So I'm much more focused on how does the overall department of 800 lawyers actually do? 
and then I think we will cover that. And uh, you know, yeah, millions of millions of outside council council services that we buy on the market. So it was it was fairly easy because I went into the first executive committee of the legal department in the first couple of days. It, it was clear that there is no real strategy in place. On a number on a number of dimensions, so in a department, in my view, should have should have a clear strategy in place, should have clear strategic priorities, should have clear KPIs, and when we're then talking about technology, should have a proper technology strategy in place. Yeah, and I was just basically in the first two weeks just asking, where are these things? You know, yeah, what is your long-term strategy? What are your goals? What is your operating plan? And so, so all of these things kind of existed as fractions, but I will always do a simple a simple test. You go and ask the senior managers. Yep. If you ask five and you get five different answers, you know, or kind of, kind of or, or only pockets of answers, then yep. something just doesn't work because you can write a lot of things when it comes to strategy on a piece of paper. What 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 counts at the end is whether people have really a shared view on their with regard to their strategy. And I don't make a difference whether that's a department or whether it's a company. In my view, functions and departments in a in a big global company they should be run as businesses. And the good thing is, in the legal department, you have actually much better prerequisites for that because it's really doable to run a legal an in-house legal department as a business or very 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 close to as a business like like if it would be a global law firm so that was kind of the first observation the second observation was that the executive committee which obviously are all general counsels from the for the business for the different business division yeah they like to talk about many things on the executive committee but never about cost yeah and it's just you can't run an 800 person department again you know with 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 millions of external spend without talking about cost so i told marcus look from now on on every executive committee there's going to be two standard agenda items one is the strategy up to the point until we have a strategy yeah and secondly cost and that's that hasn't changed so cost is a is a standard agenda item at every meeting where we talk about you know all types of costs and how, how to improve them because cost is always just you know cost is that's where people get it often very very wrong cost is the result of decisions cost if, if you see your cost figure this is x post you, you have spent the money already yeah and spending the money was triggered by certain decisions so you need to talk about the decisions do we hire people what kind of people where are we using a near offshore center so that, that's the thing that needs to be discussed about cost and if you if you take the right decisions and have the right discussions then the cost figures are actually going to look great and the other one was really strategy so we literally in the first three months uh, we wrote a business plan 50 pages long real just a proper business plan as for a company for the legal department we discussed it back and forward on this at the senior management until each of the senior managers the ec members actually really signed it and then we distributed to all 800 people so each of them every lawyer every staff at group general council ubs has access to that business plan and we are freshing that every year 
And it just includes everything. It includes the vision, mission, strategic priorities, the projects we are doing, the KPIs, the metrics we are using. So how are we actually measuring success? Just all the, the standard elements of, of a business plan. So providing clarity and transparency for the entire team about the goals, the objectives, how we're measuring ourselves, something that didn't exist previously, but and it's, it's hard to get any team to to buy into or sign off onto a, a strategic vision if it's not kind of clearly laid out for that team, whether it's legal or, or, or any other business unit. So uh, it sounds like you're saying, Thomas, you simply brought to the function the kind of standard operating processes that typically exist in other business functions. So it did run like a, like a business unit. Look, legal operations is a lot of common sense. It's, just, it's supplying management practices or management best practices in a, in a, in a context of a, either a law firm or in-house legal department. So every law firm, every big internal legal department will benefit from a clear strategy or a clearly formulated strategy because, you know, from a certain size or like, like in our case with 800 people being operational in 40, 50 jurisdiction, it's a, a lot of decisions are being taken decentrally. I'm, I'm not aware of every decision that's being taken every day in our, in our department. That's why the team heads, the managers, the middle, the, the middle layer, the senior managers, they need they need a certain guidance, yep. what's important for us and what's not important. And, and that's actually what the strategy is. The strategy explains what do we aspire for, what's important for us, what is less important for us, what are our priorities. And they, that gives just people a direction. It, it makes, makes it easier for the organization to take decisions, smaller or bigger decisions, doesn't matter. Yeah, and mentioned having you know cost as an item on the a consistent item on the agenda. I remember reading just a few weeks ago UBS's new CEO Ralph Hamers talking about taking twenty three odd billion out of UBS's cost structure. So again, what you've already put in place is consistent, no doubt, with that focus on costs and something which is particularly in financial institutions and particularly with funders the size of UBS will continue to be presumably top of the, or amongst the top of the agenda. Is that right? And Absolutely. Look, in that sense, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Profits is the difference between revenues and costs. So you can, you can influence it on, on, on two levels. Either you increase revenues, which of course is also an important discussion. Of course. It's a little bit harder from a from the perspective of the legal department because because legal services are kind of an indirect service sometimes less as an indirect service but more or less an indirect service into the revenue generation and the second part of the equation is cost and so in every every parts of of an organization of a big global company in my view there has to be a constant cost, uh, cost discussion because there are always ways to improve costs for legal i think for legal departments and that's a, that's the beauty because legal operations is so new i think the upside potential is much bigger yeah much bigger than let's say in any other middle back office function if you compare that with finance with hr a lot of the improvement projects in the finance or hr space just to mention two two functions have already started 20 years ago or even even more 
Yeah. Legal was often more a little bit on the side, you know, relatively pretty expensive, but 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 the cost was more looked at probably as a as an insurance cost, you know, you know, something that we need to spend. But fact yep. is legal services are extremely expensive. They they are really expensive and there are very, in my view, substantial inefficiencies in the overall legal ecosystem. Yep. And we can talk about talk about some of them, but but I think I think my, that is my personal conviction. Yeah, I think they are really in this industry, in this in this wider industry, in the broader legal legal ecosystem, there are still substantial market inefficiencies that drive costs up. So that kind of dovetails back to the point you mentioned earlier. It's not simply a case of the cost is whatever the cost is. That's an outcome of decisions you've made much earlier. So note, I assume you're focused on what, what are the decisions we are making early on and the systems or the processes we're putting in place for those decisions so that we affect the outcome, the cost outcome, you know, sometime down the yeah. track. And that's, so if you put that into the context of a legal department, that's first hiring decisions, the size of the internal legal department, how, do you, how many lawyers do you have? Where are these lawyers? Are they in New York, in Zurich, or in Poland, as an example? Yep. So the geographical distribution of work is very important. What services are being provided to internal clients? What's more important? What is less important? So these are these are main considerations when it comes to the internal cost base. And then secondly, obviously the external cost base, which and I think UBase wasn't was an outlier was substantially bigger than the internal cost base. Yeah. It's just still a fact that that usually for big global in, global in-house legal departments, internal costs are probably, you know, 40%, 30%, and external costs can be 60, 70, but it depends on yeah. the size of the litigation portfolio, even higher. And then on the external side, obviously, then questions like how many vendors do you have? What are the rates that we pay? What kind of alternative fee arrangements do we have? So that the whole context of vendor management, procurement management becomes extremely important. And that's usually, these are usually the sub-functions in legal operations team, which are underdeveloped. So one of my first hires into my team was actually creating an outside council management team. Yep. For a very simple reason, because, because this is one of the areas where, where, where there's just the biggest potential, at least in our case. So to take responsibility, essentially, I take it for, for the external costs. How do we engage outside counsel? Yes. What kind of arrangements? Are these only tier one firms or can we use tier two firms? Yep. And so on, you know, and then there, there are more, more complex questions than what's the technology stack of certain law firms? Are they leveraging technology? Yes or no? And you know, you know the whole discussion with regard to the billable hour and, and so on. That it's there's a huge area in, and I still I still believe even now that there's still substantial upside potential in really optimizing external spend. And so tell me, Thomas, what did you learn in the first, let's say, year or two of the role? And I'd like to compare that to any more recent learnings about you know how easy it was how hard it was what you didn't anticipate because one thing to be outside looking in and making an assessment of what you think it might look like and what the role what might might be like once you start but I'd, I'd love to hear from you is how was it different what did you learn yeah so let, let, let's first start on the positive side 
Yeah. First, one of my biggest surprises was how supportive our department was. And actually, actually, the first couple of weeks, I heard and I heard it more than once. I said, "Oh, we are so glad that we now that we now have that someone comes and gives us gives us a structure, or gives us okay. a." you know, helps us, helps us to formulate a strategy. And then from the strategy, of course, you know, you can then talk about, yeah. talk about what should be the organization structure. Then we implemented a service catalog just to be much better understand what kind of services do we provide and so on. Much, it's of course, much more than just formulating strategy. So there was a lot of, and still today, there's a lot of support and people, that's what I like like about the lawyers because they are so open and you can just, you know, you can discuss and negotiate with them. They, they, just, they just like that. They're just open to new ideas. So we had a lot of, I was basically at the, at the, the first couple of weeks, it was a one-man show and they were completely supportive. You know, they, they were really very supportive of someone helping them, as I said, you know, to formulate a strategy and just, just to help them to manage the department better because usually when these guys are so smart they know they feel that that's probably not their strong side these are things things which they can learn which i think yeah and that's also anyway my recommendation that any any lawyer also takes an mba or something similar just to learn also the management side so that was the first first surprise because i personally i expected much more resistance more resistance yeah yeah, and that's and certainly lawyers, lawyers have got that kind of reputation a little bit for resistance and like, but kind of setting their ways a little bit. I think you just have to be stubborn. You know, you, you yeah. just need to come back to the same point again and again, and then engage them into a discussion. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, my my project experience was anyway on projects. You focus on the person who want to change. You focus on the groups who want to change. Yep. There's a probably 20 year old strategic, uh, sorry, uh, scientific research, it's probably more than 20 years old, which says if you can move a critical mass of a group, and that's usually between 15 and 20 percent, then the rest will follow. Yep. So my advice is always, you know, don't focus on, on the guys who, who provide the biggest resistance, find the pockets of people who really want to change, create a mass. If that mass is big enough, the rest will follow. And the good thing is that legal legal departments are not very, they are, from a cognitive perspective, they are very homogeneous. But fact is that big legal departments are clusters of relatively small teams. Yeah. That, that, that at least the way at, how it is at UBS, because usually a certain relatively small team would face off a certain internal client. And we have four four big business divisions that they need their each business division needs different legal services. So they're basically the legal department in that in that sense is a cluster or a clustering of relatively small teams. So you, you can always find a team who wants to change and then start there. In software sales, we call that focus on the early adopters. Yeah, absolutely. Move to the early yeah. majority. And then allow the late majority to come in and follow, and then everything else will happen. So, so that that can yeah. be also used for big organizational transformations. Yeah. It, it yep. doesn't need to be in the technology space. Yep. Just for normal organizational change. So that that was the first surprise. How how supportive they really are, and how, how open they how open the group and and the whole department was. The second one was, and this is more on my side. I completely underestimated how much progress we can make. 
So I wow uh, yeah <laughs> wow I, uh, we we U.S. goes through an annual operating plan. So we so we refresh our budgets and operating plans every year, and then then we do in addition every year we do a rolling free strategic plan, which and, and these plans are being being established with with the finance department. So basically, the finance department leads that process. So when we wrote the first operating plan and then the second one and the third one in two thousand and eighteen two thousand nineteen. We always, at the end of the year, we were always better than that operating plan. We always underestimated how much we can do and how fast. So the impact was always much bigger. That's, of course, a great situation. In yeah, I, I love I love your strategy, Thomas. <laughs> Under-promise and over-deliver. But it really, just for me, it was an important learning. And that's also what I say on conferences or people who are starting now new in, on the legal operations side. You know, you're gonna be surprised how much you really can move. You're gonna. It's called very likely that you're gonna underestimate the potential. Let's move on to because there there, there will be so many so many yep. lessons learned. Let, let's move on to one which which was much much harder to do, and that was that's really prioritization. So at least in our case, and I think every company, of course, is different, but there we had so many different areas where we saw improvement potential that we had, and still today, we had to constantly prioritize that. Right. And I think that's really important because it's it's likely that people starting new in, oper- in legal operations are going to be overhand by so many opportunities. And then you get all the, you know, you get the technology vendors, they tell you, you should do this, and you should buy this contract management solution, and so on. So I think it's very important on a regular basis to step back, to prioritize, and then find the best match between what is it we can move with meaningful efforts, which matches the resources we have. And yep. then secondly, what's the what's the potential value being created? And somewhere there's a sweet spot between efforts and, and results. And that's what we focused on. So I never followed a, you know, kind of a comprehensive legal operation strategy in that sense. So this, this was a constant decision okay we have these and these opportunities we can now move we can now move the needle on this and this topic it's going to create this these and these efforts so is it hard hard or is it is it is it easier to do what's yep. the best balance and then move on and, and do that i think that's that's really important so in that sense in hindsight you could say okay that sounds a little bit like a patchwork. We tried to balance that because two years ago we started to develop a, a target operating model for the for the legal department. We did spend a lot of time into process analysis and so on, just to starting to bring the whole picture together for also for future for future change. But I think ongoing prioritization is really important. And then just to mention one one more item, which of which of course I like, but but which was really hard is to hire a legal operations team. Yeah. It's just these roles just don't exist on the market. They're, not, they're now starting to exist now on the market. Yeah. But we had to be pretty creative. So for example, my first head of outside council management, which I said already, you know, was one of the first teams we hired or we, we started to build. He actually hasn't any legal background. He was for 15, 20 years in the procurement department of UBS and involved in really, you know, big procurement projects. And I convinced him to join the legal department. So I told Stefan, look, Stefan, if you join, I, 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 do, I do know 
that you that you don't know a lot about law firms, but in the end, to be honest, you know, whatever they're gonna tell you, we are just buying a service. Yep. Procuring a service. It's probably made a little bit, you know, fancy because the expensive lawyers like to make it more complex than what it is. But it, it's just it's procuring like buying any other service. So just apply your normal procurement strategy, you know common sense and, and, and your know-how from the recruitment space. So we did a lot of, of hires from from the finance department, from from the accounting department, from the recruitment department, just people who bring a different perspective on a, on a specific topic. And second, which I think is very important when you start fresh with legal operations, that you, that you try to bring people who actually know the firm. Because U.S. is pretty difficult to navigate. Yeah. <laughs> as a big, as a big uh, global, complex company, it helps to know some of the insights. Just make some things faster. Tell me a little bit about, and I'll give you some background here because it was the very first conversation that you and I had, and I set the scene a little bit for the listeners because, because uh, I don't, I haven't forgotten this conversation, and I'll tell you why. I, I was in. I was holidaying at the time. I was actually in the US in Venice Beach with my family and we had rented out a little bungalow and there was like a six foot by six foot decking outside the front. And I told the family, everyone be quiet for the next 20 minutes. I have my first call with Thomas Barothi from UBS. So I remember that quite well. There's something that you said to me on that call that's resonated with me, because we talked about the efficiency, you know, your goals and objectives, efficiencies of a legal department and lawyers and the way lawyers engaged outside counsel and basically the way they ran their function. And you said to me, in my view, Jim, the in-house lawyer has to wear multiple hats, okay? They are cost managers, project managers, risk managers, procurement managers, and people managers. And that really stuck with me. Talk a little bit about the background to that comment and certainly what you've learned around those skills and lawyers acquiring those kind of skills and, and why, why it's so important. Yeah, so let's, let's first, why is that so important? So as I said already, you know, decisions are being made every day on all levels of the organization of a, of a big in, internal legal department. So we have about 800 people. You can imagine how many team heads we have and how many, how many people we have in, in more senior manager roles. And I really firmly believe that every lawyer really benefits from understanding that he or she does also buy services on the market. So they're also procurement managers, that they usually, at least from a, from a, from a team head role upwards, that they need to manage a team. So yep. the people management part is, where, is, is really important. Obviously, they have to be good, good lawyers. That, that's what they usually should bring from the education, lawyers, a lawyer, being a good lawyer, being, being a good risk manager. So that, that's where this concept from the seven hats, I mean, that, that's a very old, that, that's an old book actually comes yeah. from. And I really firmly believe that every lawyer benefits if he or she learns about, learns about these additional skills. How do you optimize a project? How do you manage a team on the people side? How do you set goals? How do you measure goals? Even if it's only only for your own small little team, how do you buy in a professional way services on the market and just not go to the next law firm where you know the partner yep. and probably had, had had a business relationship or, or any any job experience with, with him or her? 
So that that's very important. And we, we did, we're still using this also for educational. We're trying to educate each of our lawyers along these dimensions. So they just increase their muscle of being, as an example, a good procurement manager. Yep. And I think that's something, that's where probably a law firm is slightly different to an internal legal department, because in the internal legal department, these things become very important. It's not only about serving your internal client, but each of our staff can make a contribution every day to you know the overall progress of the department. What we're adding now are other things which will become important over the next couple of years. Shouldn't any lawyer also be a data analyst, a knowledge manager, as an example? I firmly believe the next revolution in the legal operations space will be in the data analytics and in the knowledge management space. So there's going to be more heads, and it's going to be important that the overall organization and each of them is raising the bar on, on these other heads and there are which always comes with, with multiple heads, are comfortable to switch these heads every day. It used to be really, to be fluid from one role to the other. I was going to say, I think you might be some scaring some lawyers out there, but who might be thinking, oh, that's for someone else, or that perhaps for someone a little younger, or that's for a separate skill set. Uh, Jim, I give, you, I give you a simple example. Yeah. If any of these lawyers would leave UBS and start their own firm, all of a sudden, they will be able to do all of these hats. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I that's what I tell our people. You can do this. Yeah. You have you have it already in you. You just you know you're probably a little bit biased because you had a, rel- a relatively one sided education. But these guys, as I said already, these guys are all very smart. And again, not the interesting thing if they would create their own company. Or if we would, you know, yeah. if they would leave the firm and and establish their own practice, all of a sudden from the first day on, they could do that. They would hire the best people that they need. You know, they would yeah. very carefully choose where, what kind of building they would rent, and how expensive these offices are. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that's doable. It's, by the way, also in their private life when they're buying a house or buying a car or, you know, discussing with their family where they're going to do their next holidays and so on. All of a sudden, they could, they can do these things. They would choose, you know, the yep. most economic flight and so on. So people can do this because people have actually, they have somehow their life experience. It's just they're not, not enough aware of it. So I, I'm a firm believer in that and I, I, I have not seen... Also, look, phrase it to phrase it differently. I'm very positively surprised how how our staff is picking these topics, you know, and and how how much better they actually became over the last couple of years. The good thing is it has turned now. At the beginning, we triggered a lot of change more top down, and now they actually coming back. We see much more ideas coming coming from all types of teams. So they actually they come to the legal operations team, the CEO team, or they discuss it with their with their own managers, and they come with all types of ideas. Couldn't we try this? Couldn't we do that? 
And that's really very encouraging. Yeah, it's really that, very positive. That, that, that's really interesting, Tom. So it kind of sounds like what you're trying, to, what you're doing, is creating an environment in which those kind of skills, those muscles, start getting developed, start getting used, flexed, getting better at, and and that in itself will then start creating a bit of bottoms up momentum yes. or grassroots momentum, say, for for even better improvements. Because you're absolutely right. If anyone was to go out and start their own you know, law firm, they would instantly have all of the incentive, if you like, to build those skills very, very quickly. And there's no reason why you can't create an environment. And I like that strategy, creating that environment internally. So those skills are being developed, flexed, and then used to, to benefit the org. I really like that. It's the same, the same also in other industries. Yeah. Pharmaceutical industry... You cannot just only hire researchers and it doesn't make sense if a company only focuses on research. You have to do research in a commercial sensitive way. This is everywhere. I just don't understand why. And this was kind of my, my first observations at, at the beginning that so, there are, I'm not saying, I, I don't want to kind of create a stereotype, that, but there is a certain pockets so of pockets of lawyers who think that they don't need to deal with these things. My advice is always, you know, sorry, you know, just wake up. Yeah. Every company needs to make profit. So the decisions you take every day are absolutely crucial. So each of us, each every person in an organization needs to contribute to that. Whether it's small or big, depends always on the position, but doesn't doesn't matter. Every person in an organization needs to contribute to the overall progress. Yeah, as in our case, on, on the department. And that, that means to take really smart decisions. And, and thinking about other organisations or perhaps other people who are in a similar role or looking to deliver the kind of change that you're talking about, but, but are perhaps earlier on in their own journey, Thomas. Now, I know it's always a develop a strategy for the relevant organisation, but is, is there any generic low-hanging fruit that you would recommend that someone in your role starts looking at early, focusing on, I mean, we've talked about internal, external yeah. costs and getting ahead around it, but, but if they weren't, they won't be easy wins, but, but, but where should the arrow be pointed in those early days for someone, as I said, earlier on in the, the legal ops journey? Yeah, also just some generic observations, but, but, but I think my, my first advice is always before, before someone starts on a very specific topic or theme that... I think it's unavoidable because every situation is different just to do a yeah. proper SWOT analysis. Yeah. Really to understand and do enough interviews or any other internal analysis to understand where are the biggest pain points. Of course, you know, kind of there are, there are something like legal operations roadmaps out there, but I think it's unavoidable at the beginning just first to do a, a a proper SWOT analysis. So as in our case, yep. it could be kind of a not properly formulated strategy. It could be a missing technology strategy. It could be a number of pro technology projects which are some somehow out there but not progressing. So that, that in mind should always be the first step. Then the second one is really to assess how many resources do you have because you know, there, there, there are some very small legal operation teams out there. There are some bigger legal operations teams out there. You can't move things without without having access to some some kind of resources, you know, skills, yep. capabilities, people, a certain budget. So that that this is just a prerequisite. And then 
out of these two things, SWOT analysis and the stock of resources that you have available, you can create a short, mid-term, longer-term plan on what actually to tackle. General experience is, I think, there's usually, when it comes to cost or, or you know, making more on the financial side progress, I think there's usually an average, there's a lot of potential in the outside council management space. Yep. I, th I think people would, would share that experience Usually, internal costs are better managed than external costs. Okay, I think I think that's kind of a common pattern. So that that's certainly an area to focus on. A second area is I think is really also technology strategy. I think the usually in-house legal departments might might be slightly different for some law firms, but usually in-house legal departments they're not so involved in the overall technology discussion that happens in in the rest of the in the rest of the firm. Yeah, and I think it's important just. To be, to be really involved in that and then over time to formulate a technology roadmap and then to, to execute that technology roadmap, again, you know, as a reflection of the, of the strengths and weaknesses. And Thomas, I, I often ask, looking ahead into the future, 5, 10, 15 years, what does the general counsel function and the legal department operation, what does it look like? I expect you might say, but I'll let you say, you know, continuing to operationalize, as you've been saying, and the, the achieve the kind of improvements that you've been talking around in relation to strategy and cost. But I'd like to get your and, and yeah. the importance of data too. But tell me, you know, 10, 15 years out, what, what's the focus going to be on? What's it going to look like? So in 10 to 15 years is a long, is a long time period. I think in 10 to 15 years, what we see now is legal operations, which is basically an extension of just managing a legal department properly. That will, in 10 to 15 years, have become second nature. We're not going to talk about this anymore. It will be yep. it will be part of the DNA of every big internal legal department. But there's, uh, and it's actually interesting that you're asking, because we, we're working since about a year on our big rocks for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. So I give you a couple of them, which are probably, they might sound a little bit more on, on the stretch side, but we're talking yep. about 10 years, right? So first, I, I don't going to put them into a certain priority. So the, the priority might be slightly different than, than the way I'm going to mention it. First is revenue generation. And I think we are only a couple of years away from that. I want to have a legal department who generates revenue directly. And I'm not meaning indirectly by serving our internal clients and then they sell a product to our clients but by white labeling legal content, because we are producing a lot of, of interest legal content. I think we have a potential to sell that on the market. So I want to see that internal legal departments change from a cost producer to a revenue generator. Number one. Love that strategy. And just to pick an example, and I'm just going to guess here, but if the legal department is consistently providing certain kind of advice to one of the business units, the chances are that kind of advice might be relevant to another financial institution in the same yeah. sector. So, And chances are someone else in that other financial institution is providing exactly the same advice or, or researching. What you're saying is, well, or why couldn't you lab white label, for example? Absolutely. That, yep. Yes, I, I love that. Or, or think about very complex regulations. Yep. You need you need a certain scale to really find solutions for complex regulations. That can be very difficult. For example, in our case, for much smaller financial institutions. Yeah. In the US, of course, 
has to do that. We have to be compliant with every regulation. So we're spending a lot of time in, in our lawyers spending a lot of time in finding the best way how to oper- you know find an operational way to be compliant with regulation. That creates a lot of know-how. They know how parts of that could be white labeled. Yep. So revenue generation. Secondly, agile. I think in five to ten years we will f- see internal legal departments and certainly also law firms who really have adopted agile methodologies. So that's now yep. more on the on the organizational side that has a lot to do with resource management, dynamic resource allocation, dynamic allocation of work, tackling the issue that lawyers sometimes like to write 50-page long documents, but probably a client doesn't need that. No. But there's a lot of cultural elements to be learned, which comes from from this whole area of agile, agility, agile organizations. I hope that's something that we're going to see in the next five to 10 years. Then next item, knowledge management. Historically, lawyers always did a lot of knowledge management. But my experience in big internal legal department is that this is being done in smaller cells. Yeah. So if, if if I have discussions with a five to 10 person legal team, which, you know, supports certain parts of our businesses or a specific, specific client segment of UBS, they do a lot of knowledge management or they are writing the FAQs and then they share it inside of their team. But I think what we have not yet seen is really internal legal department wide knowledge management. Yeah. And there's a lot of value in, in that. So, and it's kind of, it's a natural transition from document management to contract management to real strategic knowledge management. So I believe that that's something where we're going to see a lot of progress in the, in the next 10 years. Next item is data analytics. So the legal department, there's a lot of data unstructured data that every day crosses a legal department and the legal departments have massive access to all types of unstructured data if we could mine these these data pools you know contract databases but also also other data pools that can create a lot of value so i i believe we will see substantial progress in data analytics and that's that's something that needs to then be combined with knowledge management so revenue generation agile knowledge management data analytics i'll give you the last one which i think is probably the most important one yeah at least for big internal legal departments and that's a numbers game so take ubs ubs has has a staff of eighty thousand people 750 people to 800 in the legal department in principle, every person, so every staff of UBS can just call a lawyer. And then very likely that lawyer would, would be engaged, would, would start to work on something. And usually all these, all these legal request intakes, they come via email or via phone. So there's something broken or something not yet optimized along the channel between the internal clients and the legal yeah. and the big internal legal department. So this is where this whole legal front door, yeah. legal hub, legal request intake, self-service, semi-self-service, 
contract assembly, document assembly comes from. So I, I'm a firm believer in 10 years, we will see a complete different channel or different means how internal clients and the legal department actually communicate and cooperate. And that will, that will allow for dynamic resource allocation yeah. that has a strong link in, into Agile. That's on that part of the value chain. And then just to mention the last item where we also see substantial transformations, that's the channel between internal legal departments and law firms and providers on the any, you know, other other providers for legal services on the market. I, I would have some, some more, but that's kind of the things we are we are discussing internally. That, that's what that's what we call as we call them big rocks. So so we have just open discussions. Yeah. What could that mean for the US legal departments over the next five, 10 years, five, 10, 15 years? And, and how do we want to shape this? And how do we want to integrate that into our own strategy? And I mean, the, the big rock setting strategy, the real need move, you absolutely have to have those, I think, in any progressive, any progressive business. What, what is it in the next five to 10 years we're looking to make improvements on? And not necessarily, I mean, the priority of those may well change. One may dwarf the other in terms of importance, depending upon what happens. But I love the strategy of identifying and presumably continuing to reevaluate what those big rocks are, what their priority is, and what we think it might look like, you know, one, five plus years out. And, and certainly all the ones you've talked about are themes we hear lots about. And there's a there is an enormous opportunity. Massive. Uh, probably, if you would have asked me two years ago, I wouldn't be so optimistic. But I think after we after we've now you know engaged internally into a more you know deeper discussion of these big rocks, I'm so convinced that for the next ten years there's still massive upside potential, and and I also really convinced that we are underestimating that. Yeah. And the great thing is that it's not the same topics as, as two, three years ago. So it's going to be very interesting. There's a there's a lot to lot to be learned. So it's going to be very enriching for people. And it's just going to open up so many doors for new careers. You know, how many data analysts do we have in legal departments or in law firms? Just probably a handful. And in 10 years, this will become a, hopefully, a standard job. So it's going to create, you know, a lot of interesting career opportunities at the end intersection of law and technology, law and management, law and cost management. So it's going to be very enriching for people who are very open-minded and just want to learn new things and try out new things. And Thomas, I have to say, if, if other people kind of took your guidance there, I expect and, and had the same belief, I expect you'd start attracting some I mean, talent like yourself into the space because of the size and the excitement of that kind of opportunity, which across the industry is likely to, you know, if you like, up the gene pool a little bit in relation to the whole operational function and might start attracting great talent from other departments within the organization. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a little bit wishful or? No, I think it's getting better. Yep. But just we have to, I mean, we have to be. Let's also be honest. If, yeah. if if someone is is currently a data analyst, let's say in a in a finance department, so if if he or she thinks about about her next career move, I think that she wouldn't yet think about the legal department. 
this is this is just a fact yeah probably for some of them that pops up already i think that's the difference to four or five years ago yeah that, that's what i said i think i think it is getting better but there's still still a long way to go and not only in you could say kind of in the ecosystem of of the legal ecosystem and, and internal legal departments and law firms but i think particularly and that's just what i'm realizing now the last one or two years in the education space i really believe that the way lawyers are being educated you know if you look at universities and some of some of them are very, are quite progressed but kind of the average education in my view is you know people are just not picking up enough of this yeah. of these additional fields not yet not yet it will come although i i have a computer science background and so if if you look at the history of computer science for many years it was just computer science and then people started to apply computers in all types of fields you know biology pharmaceutical research you name it accounting well, accounting is nothing else than applying computer science to you know I hope no non accountant is listen is listening to it. <laughs> he or she might have a might have a different view but actually you know booking costs and revenues you know that that's 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 why people have wrote wrote programs and software for so so we will we will see that that there's going to be an intersection of, for example, legal and technology. I mean, we see this now already with, with legal yeah. tech, of course, but but these these are these are still very very young child. So this this is this is not this is not a long a long history. And we will see that also in the legal education. So I'm pretty sure that lawyers over the next 10, 20 years will just get more they, they, they're gonna learn more about management technology and some other yeah. areas which are just important look it, it is the case that i think that the legal education hasn't yet caught up a lot of the way of teaching hasn't really changed and the subject matter of what's being taught starting to but i think profession would certainly benefit from a closer matching between what is being taught right now and the kind of skills that we've been talking about and the multiple different hats yeah. that the lawyer has to be able to wear. It would prepare people better and it also, as I said already, you know, it would open up additional career opportunities. And I, yeah. I, 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 I really believe that the legal departments have really so much upside potential to liberate the lawyers from relatively boring recurring work. Yeah. This is nothing else than an organization of knowledge workers. And because it's in the knowledge management space, it has the opportunity to liberate people from, you know, why do you want to review the 500th NDA in a row? You know, so, 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 so there's really opportunities to give people much more enriching work over time which also serves the firm better and gives them a more fulfilling life. But I think what we also should never forget is that that legal services, as I mentioned at the beginning, are still very expensive. So I think for society to liberate people from, from the simpler legal questions and with that also to create more access to the legal system and for people who just can't afford it is extremely important. Yeah. Thomas, let me wrap up with a couple of more personal questions. And I like asking this one of my guests, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection was not a very good use of time? 
Okay, that's that, that that's really difficult to answer because <laughs> because I normally I never and it's it's seldom that I worry about something. So oh, well, well, that's a fantastic attribute. Always over these last twenty years, I I never had problem with sleeping, as an example. On the business life, I personally I never I, I seldom worry about something. or doing much more about private things, which which for me are much more important. You know, the, the education yep. of our daughter and and can I spend enough time with her? Can I spend enough time with my family? These things are much more important for me. I, I think for business problems, you know, you're always going to find a solution. It's usually about finding, and at least for a big company like UBS, we always find solutions for every problem. Yeah, and We found it by just connecting the right people. Well, I, I certainly agree about the focus on the on the personal, and that's that's always the hardest stuff. And you're absolutely right; there is typically a solution for a business problem. <laughs> but finding the time and making the commitment early on—that's one thing that I've kind of, I think, learned. Investing early on in all of the personal stuff, the relationships, the family, all of that—you can't catch that stuff up. That's very hard to catch up. It's gone. Yeah. And that's you know, when I when I ask myself, you know, what would I do a little bit differently? Probably, probably just invest a bit more time in the stuff that just takes years, which is the personal relationship. And so, let me come back to you. Anything that you'd be advising your twenty five year old self, personally or professionally, Thomas? In hindsight, yeah, I think it's probably probably along the line of what you mentioned. You know, yeah. starting early enough to spend enough time. And really think about what 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 is your life outside of business. Yeah. So and this, this is not only about family and about relationship. It's also about what are your personal interests. So you know, some people like to read. Some like, some people like to play chess. I like to ski. I do, as you know, I do a lot of photography. And I've seen some fantastic examples of, of your photography. Two of my two of my hobbies. Yeah, really quality stuff. It's just important. You need to find something that just gives you different experiences and, and just makes life richer. Also also for you as an individual personally. So it's, it's not only, it's not, I think it's not only, family of course is a very important part, but I, I think just to really live a full life is much more than just, than just you know, being successful on the business side. Again, if you come back to the roles and to the hats, business is just one hat and I, yeah. I think i think it's always great or i always like to have to have conversations with people who have who have, dif- who have additional interests be it art be it sports whatever you know i think in my case it's it's also about really doing it by the way which is also which i uh, and that's probably something which i just realizing now over the last couple of years, that if you personally spend time in some of these in some of these areas, like in now case now in my case, photography, at, at the first look at it, you would say you would think, okay, that has no- nothing to do with your business life. But fact is actually, it helps me now personally just to relax much better. Yeah. So if I'm out and shoot, let's say only for an hour or two hours, I just come back and I'm I'm completely fresh. Because yep, more productive. I can't, I can't yep. think about business during the, these two hours. You need yeah. to concentrate on what you're doing. And in, in my case, it's it's what is what's you know how do I frame a certain picture? Where gonna find the best light? You know how are the clouds moving? 
where's the sun? So you just can't think about yep. business. You just need to be completely in the moment and focus. And that, that just helps to relax. Same, same as with sports. Yeah. And these, these two things interact. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely sage advice to be able to take a complete break and focus on something else and something that you're passionate about. Absolutely. Not only from a, just a self-satisfaction point of view and just having a happier life, but it does clear the mind to be able to tackle what are often very difficult business problems that um, we're all tasked to solve. So it's a strategy, which I said, you know, gives you both those benefits, personal benefit, as well as um, I think making you a much more effective employee. Well, Thomas, an absolute delight to speak to you. Fantastic insights. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Jim. You're welcome. It was a real, uh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs>